And uh, so we are still in the early days of Jesus Christ. That's why we are singing songs that have to do with the birth of Christ and why I'm preaching from a text that we generally associate with uh, the season around Christmas time. My text for this morning will be Luke, in Luke chapter 2, but before you turn to Luke chapter 2, I want you to find in your Bibles the book of Malachi. Malachi is right at the very end of the Old Testament, so if you come to Matthew, you've gone too far, find Matthew and then just turn back a couple of pages to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to read, uh, beginning with verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Look at verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. In the King James Version, it says, when I make up my jewels. But uh, whether jewels or whether treasured possession, the, the people who fear the Lord are regarded as precious in God's sight, like jewels. Like jewels, those who fear the Lord are sometimes found in well, what would seem like unlikely places. <clears throat> Many of you ladies and perhaps some of you men are wearing rings that have precious jewels on them. That was dug out of a mine somewhere. It was, it was in the dirt. And someone had to dig it out and then it had to be uh, polished and cut in or before it got put on your ring or on your necklace or on your earrings, wherever they might be. God has his jewels sometimes in some unusual places, people of God. And uh, I think that we have some instances of that in my text today. So today we read about Joseph and Mary, about a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And they appear sadly, no, let me say that again, they appear in a context that sadly is a little unusual. During the time of uh, Christ, the, the nation of Israel and the religion of Israel had fallen into deep disarray. It was a, a dirty place. Only about 75 years after this, the, uh, the, the iniquity of the Jewish religion would become so severe that God would abolish it by destroying the city of Jerusalem. I say 75 years. You say, well, wasn't uh, the city destroyed in 70 A.D.? That is correct. I don't want to get too confusing, but with a close look at the calendar, Jesus was probably born not in the year zero, 
but in the year 5 or 6 B.C. We know that from other historical records. Of course, the Bible doesn't give us a calendar. The calendar has been uh, imposed uh, on, on culture by other reasons. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But when, uh, when they tried to figure when Jesus was born, they had, they had him born at the year zero, but then some other historical evidence has come to light Things about when Herod ruled, Herod who tried to kill Jesus, and Herod was dead by the year zero, and so Jesus had to be born before that. We think about the year 5 or about the year 6 B.C. So that's what I mean when I say 75, 76 years later, Judaism had become so corrupt that uh, the Lord destroyed, destroyed Judaism. He destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But now we're going to read about some precious jewels. I read to you from Malachi, and you people who are interested in C.H. Spurgeon, you should find C.H. Spurgeon's sermon on Malachi 3.17. They shall be mine, says the Lord, in the day when I make up my jewels. It's a wonderful sermon. And, uh, but I'm reminded of another text, not inspired this time. But it's uh, from a poem that I love very much, Gray's Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. And uh, in Gray's Elegy, he, he considers uh, this con- the people who are buried in this country churchyard, and he surmises that uh, some of them may have been great poets, but they just never had the opportunity to write poetry. They may have had the kind of fire that was necessary to be a good poem, poet, but they never had that opportunity. Or others, others perhaps had the kind of natural skills that would have made them someone who could have been a leader of great armies, but they never had that opportunity. And uh, then he, he makes this observation. I'll paraphrase it for you before I quote it. He says, some of the, some of the most gorgeous jewels are surely located in caves in the ocean where no one will ever see them. Some of the most fragrant flowers surely bloom in deserts where no one will ever smell them. And here's the way he puts it. Full many a gem of purest ray serene the dark unfathomed caves of ocean bear. Full many a flower is born to blush unseen and waste its sweetness on the desert air. And so there are people who are living godly lives in very lonely circumstances. But God sees them. And though they may, from a human perspective, be like a a violet by a mossy stone hidden from the eye, in God's eyes they are fair as a star when only one is shining in the sky. God has his jewels. God knows where they are. And we get to read about some of his precious jewels in this text today in Luke chapter 2. So verse 21, And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... All right, you know when that was? We read just a few minutes ago in Leviticus chapter 12. So 
Eight days after he was born, Jesus is circumcised, and then they wait another 33 days. So it's been just a little over 40 days since Jesus was born. And uh, now Mary's time of purification has been completed. Now that may puzzle some of you. Why did a woman, why was a woman rendered unclean by things like childbirth and other natural functions? And it wasn't just women. Uh, anybody of, of whether male or female could be rendered unclean by a number of things. And that uncleanness meant that you couldn't come into the sanctuary until you went through a uh, ceremonial rite of purification. And uh, all of this is a, all of these ceremonial rites of purifications are teaching the truth that in order to come into God's presence, you must be cleansed from your sin. And so sometimes that sinfulness was represented by just normal bodily fluids. Sometimes it's just realized by you could become unclean if you touched a dead body. And, and uh, reading, through, reading through all of those things in, in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, uh, sometimes I think that the main purpose of that is just to make us thankful that we don't have to do all that stuff anymore. And so thankful that uh, the ceremonial law has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ and has been abolished. Uh, But anyway, uh, God is not picking on women here. He's not picking on men in other places. He's teaching a lesson, a lesson that's important for us today, that in order to come into the presence of God, you must be cleansed from your sin. And so after these 40 days, here come Joseph and Mary It says to present him to the Lord. Now, this was a special presentation. We read about this in the book of of Exodus, that every firstborn male that opens the womb, whether it's an animal or whether it's a, a, a human, every firstborn male must be presented to the Lord. You see, when, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, but he passed over the firstborn of the children of Israel. And uh, because he passed them over and didn't kill them, he told, he told the people of Israel, they all belong to me. I didn't kill them, but they all belong to me. And so throughout the history of Israel, when a baby boy was born, then after 40 days, they brought him to the tent of meeting when that was all they had, and then to the to the. Uh, to the uh, temple, when they had the temple, they would bring that little boy to the temple and they would present him to the Lord. Now, we're not required to do that for our baby boys anymore, but uh, I do hope that you parents have presented your children to the Lord. Uh, We're we're blessed to have, as far as I know, uh, two women in our congregation who are expecting babies now. Uh, Sabra Hedrick is expecting a baby, and uh, Morgan Constant is expecting a baby. And I hope that that, that, uh, the Constant family and the Hedrick family, hope that you're praying right now, Lord, this baby, the Constants already know they're having a a boy, this baby boy is dedicated to you. The Hedricks don't know yet, but already praying, this baby is dedicated to you. When I was seventeen, when I was seventeen years old, the Lord called me to preach, and I went before the church where I had grown up since I was age three, where my dad was the pastor, and that church uh, had the uh, the invitation system at the end of the service, and 
I went forward in the invitation and I announced that God had called me to preach. And, of course, everybody was really excited about that. But on the back row, I could look back there, and my mom was about to come unglued. I mean, she was just bent over crying and just just so deeply moved. And I told my dad ahead of time that I'd been called to preach, but that was the first time my mom had heard it. And she was just, she was just broken up. And in talking about it later... Then she said, I dedicated you to the Lord before you were born. And it just amazes me that he took you. (laughs) 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 And uh, you know, when you present your child to the Lord, then you're saying, "You you can go ahead and take him. You can take him and use him. If you want to call him to be a missionary somewhere, he's yours. If you want to call her to go into foreign mission service and, or, or marry a pastor and move on the other end of the country, she's yours. I'm giving her to you. I'm giving them to you. They are in your hands. And then sometimes it's just very hard that the Lord doesn't take them into service. He takes them home to heaven. And then you have to say again, Lord, I gave them to you and they are yours to do with what you want, but present your children to the Lord as uh, the law required that they do to Jesus. And out of all the baby boys that had ever been presented to the Lord, and I don't know what the ritual entailed, whether the baby was held up and said, Lord, he's yours. There was never a time when a baby like this got lifted up. The Lord Jesus Christ in all of his purity and all of his glory, Mary and Joseph saying, Lord, We present him to you. He's yours. Do with him what you want. And God didn't speak from heaven at that time. That was a voice that was audible to others. But you may be sure that the Lord and probably all the assembled hosts of heaven were watching eagerly and then stealing a glance at God the Father. And I will. I will use him. I will use him for my glory. They presented him to the Lord. And then when they offered the sacrifice that was prescribed by the Lord, notice, remember what we read in in Leviticus a few minutes ago? It was supposed to be a lamb and a pigeon or a turtle dove. But under certain circumstances, you could make it two pigeons or two turtle doves. You remember what that circumstance was? If you were too poor. If you were too poor and you couldn't afford a lamb then you could, you could use these two pigeons or these two turtle doves. And so this is an indication that very likely Jesus was born into a, a family that was very poor. Because if Joseph and Mary could have, could have afforded a lamb, you may be sure that they would have bought a lamb and they would have offered that lamb. But they probably look, had a discussion about it and looked at one another and said, I, we, just, we just don't have the money to buy a lamb. And so let's go to the market and we'll buy two young doves or two young turtle, two young pigeons and offer them to the Lord. And so that's what they did. And in doing this, I I don't know how much they understood about it, but they were preaching a little gospel sermon. You know, uh, and that little gospel sermon was without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. 
Uh, you know, you think about uh, the, the ceremony that took place. Uh, they had to wring the, neck of that, wring, that bird, wring the neck of that bird, and the Bible prescribes that they would tear it open. And then when they tear that bird open, they weren't supposed to tear it all the way. You can tear a bird in half that's that small. But just tear that bird open, and when they tore that bird open, why, I don't want to be gross, but its heart might have still been beating. But it bled. And we might look at that and say, why in the world were there so many birds that were killed like that? Why were there so many uncounted millions of lambs and, and young, young cattle that were killed that way? Why was it? There were rivers of blood that were shed. All throughout history, God was preaching a sermon that says, Without the shedding of blood of an innocent life, you cannot be right with me. And then something more, something more shocking than the death of all the birds who have ever lived happened. Something happened that was more profound than all the slit throats of all the lambs and goats and bullocks that were slaughtered throughout history. Something more profound happened. And that was Jesus, the Son of God, was nailed to a cross and his blood ran, ran out of his body. And he was, he was hanged upon a cross. And you look at that and say, why? Why this? Why so, why so brutal? Why so, why so inhumane a death? And the answer is, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is the price that God demanded so that you and I might be cleansed from our sin and come into fellowship with Him. Now just think how offensive it is to the Lord if you continue to spurn this offer of forgiveness through the death of His Son. Today, Today, receive this bloody sacrifice that was offered on your behalf. Now, none of these birds were raised back to life, but Jesus was raised back to life. He had more work to do, and that's the work that he does as our risen Savior, where he still, as it were, opens his arms wide and says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Receive me, and I will receive you, and I'll make you my child. When Joseph and Mary offered this sacrifice, they were preaching a little gospel sermon that is still relevant for us today. Mary and Joseph were some exquisite jewels that were set around that bright diamond that Jesus Christ was. But now let's go on and let's see another jewel that is mentioned here. Not only Mary and Joseph, but look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And now we get a description of his character, and then we'll get a description of the song that he sang and the prophecy that he prophesied, but notice his character. He was righteous and devout. Though he was a man who knew what was right, he was a man who did what was right, and he did it with all of his heart. That's the idea of devout. You don't just... You don't just do outwardly the thing that needs to be done. Your heart is engaged in it. It's possible to come to church and be thinking about 
something else. Well, it's right that you should come to church, but it's, you're not being devout if you're coming to church and you're thinking about something else. To be devout, then you need to have your heart engaged. And Simeon was righteous and he was devout. And uh, not only that, but notice what it says about him next. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, part of uh, being a righteous and a devout person entails some waiting. And that can be very hard for us to wait on the Lord. But he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, That word consolation in English means mostly uh, comfort. They're waiting for the comfort of Israel. But uh, in Greek, the word has a broader meaning than that. In fact, the word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 15 is the same root word that is here, uh, the paraclete. The Holy Holy Spirit is called the the parakletos, and that is uh, the word that is here. It's in a a different different, uh, grammatical form, but it's the same word. He was waiting for Israel to get what had been promised to Israel. And it wasn't just there, there. It was also uh, stand up and do what is right. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then I love this that says about him, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Have you known people like that? Have you known people that after you were in their presence and you just thought, well, the Holy Spirit is on that person? Sometimes I think that uh, we are maybe uh, too narrow-minded when we think about who the Holy Spirit is upon. I mean, there are those, those special men and women that you just feel like you've been in the presence of God when you've been with them But uh, remember that the Bible says that the fruits of the Spirit are are a a variety of fruits that you might see in somebody that you're living in the same family with. Remember that the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know a Christian who is just loving all the time? Joy. You know Christians who are filled with joy day in and day out? Peace. Peace. You know, Christians who have peace don't get upset the way other people get upset, don't get angry the way other people get angry. Patience, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness, you know people who are just nice, kind, thoughtful of others. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. As I was... uh, preparing this sermon and going over those fruits of the Spirit, I started thinking of people in our congregation who were, who were like this. And uh, I started with my fellow elders. I thought, I think the Holy Spirit's on Jim Bob Outland. I think the Holy Spirit's on Dean Huff. And I thought about Max. I thought, man, the Holy Spirit's on Max. He's full of love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. And then I just thought, man, the Holy Spirit's on Bullet Lick Baptist Church. There's a whole bunch of people in Bullet Lick that are like that. And uh, 
And praise God, because some of you used to be real grumpy (laughs) and upset all the time and not joyful. And the fact that you, you now are bearing the fruits of the Spirit is evidence that what is said of Simeon is also true of you, thank God. The Holy Spirit is upon you too, if these fruits are being cultivated in you. Well, Simeon was really in touch with the Holy Spirit, and one day... The Holy Spirit just kind of nudged him and said, you need to go in the temple today. So in the New International Version, it says, and moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple. Reads a little different in the ESV. It says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Then he came in the Spirit in the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, just pause right there. So... uh, he had, he had been so in communion with God that somehow God had communicated to Simeon, before you die, you will see the Lord's Christ. I get the impression that he is an old man because of something that he says, but uh, we'll see that in just a minute. Uh, but it had been revealed to him that he was going to see the Lord's Christ, and so moved by the Holy Spirit, he goes into the temple, and I can just... I just like to imagine this scene. I, I don't think that it's just three or four people there. There's probably a lot of people who are milling about the temple. And, uh, but then Simeon's eyes catch, sees Mary and Joseph and this little bitty baby boy, and he knows that's the Christ. And so he comes up to them at that moment. And just look at this little cluster of jewels, Mary and Joseph and Simeon, and then this this little bright shining diamond Jesus in the midst of this cluster. And uh, look at what Simeon says. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now that's one of the things that makes me think that he's probably an old man He has lived long, and he knows that he's not going to die before he sees the Lord's Christ. But when he sees Jesus, he says, it's okay for you to just go ahead and take me now. Now let your servant depart in peace. I think that uh, Simeon gives us a good example. You want to die this way? I want to die this way. I want to die saying, Lord, you now let your servant depart in peace. Well, Even now, be righteous and devout, and uh, may the Holy Spirit be upon you, and and when you see Christ, embrace Him in your arms, and then there will come a time when you're breathing out your last, and you'll be able to say, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon realized what a lot of people of that day did not realize, that Christ was going to be the Christ not just for the glory of Israel, but also for a light to the nations. And he declares that when he's got little baby Jesus in his arms. So that's Simeon's song. He's not finished yet. He has something very important to say. Let's see what it is in verses 33 and following. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. 
And that's just the way that God usually brings people into his kingdom. There is a falling before there is a rising. We are taken down from our presumption of righteousness to the point where we see, I need to be saved. I need the help that God alone can give me. And that's when you're in a position to be raised up. And this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. Not only that, but to be a sign that is opposed. This is going to be a child who is going to have enemies. A sign that will be spoken against. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. I have little doubt that Mary is telling this story to to Luke, years after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and gone back to heaven. And she's thinking back and she's remembering that day. And I'm sure that she never fully realized what all was entailed in this prophecy, that a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. But there was a time when she saw her boy nailed to a cross. She saw her boy spit upon and, and spit. And she was standing there at the cross When her son Jesus died and a sword pierced her soul. Well, I doubt if if there's ever a mother who ever gives her children to the Lord entirely who escapes a little soul piercing herself. Because it's just a soul piercing job to raise children for God. And there's no more important job on earth. I don't know that it's any more important than being a a preacher and proclaimer of the word of God, but I can't say that it's uh, any less important than when God calls someone to preach. What a noble calling it is to be a mother. But there will be sword piercings for you, mother, and there will be sword piercings for you fathers too. Because when you, uh, when you have a child and you rear that child right, you really give your life up for that child. And uh, sometimes when someone's about to have a baby for the first time, I'll say, well, you enjoy this, you enjoy the sleep you're getting right now. If it's the husband, the woman's already quit having good rest. I'll say to the husband, you enjoy this sleep because it's the last good night of rest you're going to have for about the next 18 years. (laughs) What with crying babies and kids uh, running around and causing this and that. But what a joy it is, how thankful how thankful we are that the Lord blessed our home with, with six children. And it's a noble, it's a noble calling to be a parent. And no, no, no more noble calling. But it doesn't require sacrifice. And there was a sacrifice that would, a sword would pierce through Mary's soul. And Jesus is going to be a revealer of thoughts. The thoughts from many hearts may be revealed, Simeon says about Jesus. And he still is a revealer of hearts. He still is a divider of mankind. Jesus said, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you no, but a sword. From now on, there will be members of a household that will be divided against one another. And then he enumerates that the sons will be against the fathers, the daughters against the mothers, the sons-in-law. I can't remember what all he says, but there's division that is still brought about over the Lord Jesus Christ. The thoughts of many hearts are revealed. But Simeon is a gorgeous jewel in the cluster that God reveals. And then finally, we see yet another jewel, and that's the prophetess Anna. 
verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Now, not all prophets were prophets or prophetesses who proclaimed things in, in mixed assemblies. Uh, there are other prophetesses who are mentioned in the Bible. There was a prophetess in the Old Testament named Huldah. Uh, there were a man in the New Testament who had seven daughters who were prophetesses. And so I don't think that this is a justification for women being pastors of churches or women being preachers because the Bible forbids that. So since, since these prophetesses in the New Testament were not allowed to pastor churches, then where did they do their prophesying? Well, I would gather that it would be among, among other women, that it would be in a situation that would not violate the standards that the Lord lays down for women in which women are to exercise their gifts. I believe it was C.H. Spurgeon, it may have been someone else, but I believe it was C.H. Spurgeon who was approached by a woman who had a lot of children, 18 or 20 children, a lot of children. And she said to Spurgeon or whoever it was, I think that maybe the Lord is calling me to preach. And uh, the pastor's response was, well, not only has he called you to preach, but he has also given you your congregation. And uh, <clears throat> so the, the preaching that you do is to be in your own family. But here is a woman who was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, back in those days, uh, girls would get married very early, maybe 13 or 14 years old. Uh, they would usually marry someone who was older. And so it's, it's very likely that Anna had been married when she was very young, let's say 14. And then for seven years, she had lived with her husband, and then he died. So he dies when she is about age 21. And then you've got two possibilities here. So if you have a, an English Standard Version, then you see that there's a little, a little number, number one, footnote, 84. It could be that she was a widow for 84 years. Now, that's not inconceivable. You just think if she was 21 when her husband died and she had been a widow for 84 years, then she was 105. I have a relative who is 107. Uh, Vicky's aunt just died and she was, what, 104 100, yeah, so old. So it's not unheard of that uh, in, in New Testament times that someone would live to be 105 years old. And that, perhaps that's how old Anna was. It's uh, more believable that uh, she was 84 years old. But you've got, it, it's either way. Any, either way you go, she was uh, up in years. I've got to be careful how I talk about 84-year-olds because we've got some in this room right now. And uh, so uh, as we grow older, it should be a great goal of ours that we would grow old, not exactly like Anna, but similar to the way Anna did. Let's see how that she lived her life. It says that she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And so when her husband died, 
she just said, I am going to dedicate myself entirely to living for the Lord. I would assume that this meant that she took herself out of the, out of the pool of eligible widows. It may have happened in a more natural way. It may have been that she said, I'm willing, I'm willing to marry, and uh, the opportunity never arose. And so she just dedicated herself to staying in the temple, fasting and praying night and day, since the time that she was probably around 21 years old, she had dedicated herself to just seeking the Lord. And as I was considering that, I thought of the hymn that surely is in our hymn books, Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. And then that song goes on gloriously, to say, as brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. And uh, that's a message for all of us in this age of distraction, to have done with lesser things. You can't do everything well. Focus your attention on this one thing that is necessary and give your, give your attention to living for the Lord like Anna did. Although you won't stay in the, you won't stay in the church day and night fasting and praying, but you will all of your days be spent seeking after the Lord. And then this old woman, maybe only 84, maybe as old as 105, comes up to them at that very hour. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, the the redemption of Jerusalem. And so, uh, again, what a, what a beautiful setting this is. I can just see Simeon and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And then Anna, this, this bright, glistering jewel of a woman, comes up. And she sees this little baby. And she says, oh, this is the Christ. And uh, the Lord had revealed things to say. We don't know what she said. But she gave thanks to God and began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel Jerusalem. That's a good way to be old, to give thanks to God and to speak about Jesus, to give thanks to God and to speak about Jesus. And that's a good way to be a happy old person one day, is that even while you are young, you give yourself to serving the Lord, to giving thanks to the Lord and speaking about Jesus. Now we're going to conclude with uh, what I think is an appropriate hymn, exhorting us to rejoice in, uh, in this Messiah who has come. Good Christian men rejoice. <laughs>